good looking one at that. Um, thanks for having me and, and it's a pleasure for me to be uh, given this lecture for a museum because my life has been in museums and uh, actually the, the whole idea for Spain and the independence of the United States started in a museum uh, here in New Mexico of all places. I know that's hard to believe, uh, but it's true. And what had happened is during our country's bicentennial, Spain sent uh, copies of Spanish regimental flags that fought British soldiers during our war of independence. And uh, I started out as a, a curator at the History Museum here in New Mexico. And in the room that they called the uncatalogued room, I uh, opened up a box that had those three flags and made a discovery and wondered what they were. I'd uh, just gotten out of graduate school with all but dissertation and uh, and I had never heard of the, you know, about Spain being involved in our war of independence. And so I started doing a little research, called up the Spanish embassy that referred me to the uh, military, the army museum in Madrid. And they told me those were regimental flags of the Spanish army that fought in our revolution. And so that got me going on the whole thing. One thing led to another Fulbright fellowship that uh, got me kicking and screaming, going to Spain for 10 months. Um, and, uh, and doing research in the archives there. And I found out that uh, Spanish archives have so much information about our independence that uh, nobody in this country had bothered to use. Um, naturally enough, because we know about Lafayette and so all our historians go to France um, and try to you know, read French in the 18th century. So um, I, uh, I guess this was like a historian's dream come true, find something that no one knows and there's all kinds of information about it. So uh, that's what led me to this. And, and to give you an overview of what I found after actually the 10 months in Spain and the next year I went back on a subsequent grant for three years and uh, there's still stuff in Spain, in the Spanish archives that I haven't seen and I'm still writing about it. In fact, I'm right now writing a, a book about it uh, in a different view. Um, is this. Spain, uh, without Spain's involvement in our, our war of independence, um, our founding fathers would not have won that war. Now, listen carefully, I didn't say we wouldn't have become independent because someday we would have become independent. As uh, Tom Paine uh, wrote, it was ridiculous for an island to think it could rule a continent. And so eventually we would have won our independence. We just would not have won it with that war. Um, so that's the first thing. Now, how did Spain help us? Well, first of all, they did it with money, then they did it with gunpowder, and then they did it with weapons and goods and blankets, um, and uh, apparently even a horse or two. Um, they did it um, through their strategy. It was their strategy that ended up winning the war. Um, they did it fighting British soldiers and spilling blood, which is always what you know the, the military historians wanna know. Was there actual fighting? Did they get involved? You know, or they um, did they put it on the line in that way? So I can tell you, Spain spent more money on the American Revolution than any other country did, um, and and this is almost startlingly new to historians in this country who keep insisting that that cannot be true, uh, but it is true. And in a in a simple way to identify that is just to look at our dollar symbol, which was uh, what the uh, the American accountants used for Spanish pesos. Uh, and the reason it came out with an S and a line through it is because the Spanish uh, royal symbol was two pillars of Hercules um, next, uh, um, on each side of the Spanish uh, royal shield with ribbons going through it. And so they put two pillars with one S for the ribbons and that became the dollar sign. Uh, some of us might even remember there was a time when the dollar sign actually had the two lines and the S. And so there was so many Spanish pesos funding the war that it became the symbol for our dollar. Uh, that, that's just a simple way of looking at how much came in without giving you exact amounts. And no one really knows the exact amounts or value of the, of the, um, the Spanish aid or the French aid or the Dutch aid, really. Um, so we, we have ideas because we, we get uh, accounting amounts for certain things or the battles that fought and can prorate you know, the cost of the soldiers and so forth. Uh, the second thing is Spain joined the war late. So before they got into the war, after France, um, they were sending clandestine aid. 
uh, as early as 1775, they were secretly sending aid to the, the colonists. Uh, and that aid uh, either got to the colonists directly uh, through uh, uh, faked uh, merchant uh, you know, transactions, or it was sent up the, through Spanish New Orleans at the time, uh, up the Mississippi River to Spanish St. Louis, and then from St. Louis to Fort Pitt. And actually, on one occasion, blankets from Spain made it through that route, the Mississippi River, Ohio River to Fort Pitt, and then on through the Appalachian Mountains to Valley Forge, uh, where uh, what the Spanish document uh, calls uh, names uh, Patricio Enrique, which if you, any of you are bilingual, you recognize right away, that's Patrick Henry, Patricio Enrique in the Spanish documents. Um, he claimed the blankets for his Virginian troops and, and wouldn't share them with the rest of the troops at Valley Forge. So, so much for cooperation. Um, there's no account of what uh, George Washington thought about that, that stunt, but that happened. Um, the other thing is, is that the, and the major thing is Spain took its time getting into the war because it tried to negotiate a peace before it got into the war. And that peace never compromised American independence, which is somehow serviced in, in our books. Uh, those dastardly Spaniards, you know, they just didn't want to, they didn't like us. And so they tried to betray us and negotiate a peace. Um, they didn't uh, have to negotiate a peace because they weren't in war in the first place. Uh, but they tried to negotiate a peace between, at that time, um, the colonies and, and Great Britain and France, who had gotten into the war. Um, and uh, and they, uh, when the, the idea of, uh, you know, well, okay, this compromise in the colonies can be part of the Commonwealth, but still loyal to the king and all of that. Uh, Spain uh, basically said, don't insult us. Uh, the colonies are, will get their independence and we won't negotiate that away. So when, that, when, the, when Great Britain wouldn't uh, negotiate for the independence of the colonies, um, the other reason, and Spain got into the war, but the other reason that Spain waited to get into the war is because um, it was preparing itself. And what do I mean by that? Spain knew that if that Britain um, uh, had a large navy, they had the largest navy in the world, in fact, and it was the most powerful empire in the world. And both Spain and France had just lost a war to that powerful empire. And so the Spanish king, Carlos III, said, we're going to do this right this time. We're not going to rush into war. We're going to prepare for war. And we're going to prepare for war by building up our 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 um, our our military uh, might, as well as, as, as our finances to support the war. And we're gonna prepare the war by seeing if we can eliminate uh, uh, an ally or two of, the, of Great Britain. And the most important one to eliminate at that time was Portugal. Spain sent the largest armada of ships in the war uh, to South America as part of neutralizing uh, Portugal, because Portugal was in, uh, in Brazil and with British aid was moving into Spanish territories in the Rio de la Plata, today's Buenos Aires, which is incidentally a beautiful city. Um, and so the Armada went down there and eliminated the, uh, the uh, British aid and the British presence to the Portuguese, forced the Portuguese to give up what is today Uruguay to Spain. That's why Uruguay speaks Spanish today. Um, and uh, then at the same time, sent a, a fleet of ships uh, up the river and, and uh, anchored off of Lisbon with cannons pointed and, and, um, and uh, forced the, the Portuguese to, to, uh, to sign a treaty uh, to stay neutral if any war broke out. And then they negotiated and worked with the rest of Europe through France uh, to, through what is called the League of Armed Neutrality to make sure that the other nations wouldn't join Britain. Um, when, when hostilities really broke out and it was no longer just a rebellion between the colonies and the mother country. And so in 1779, in June of 1779, Spain declared war. And in declaring war, they set the strategy for that war. Why did they do that and how could they do that? Because we all know France was already in the war and France is supposed to be this big, powerful country. Remember, they just lost a war to Great Britain. Uh, they had an idea that... Um, they, 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 needed, they knew they needed Spain in the war, but they had an idea that maybe they could surprise Great Britain's uh, fleet out of New York um, and end the war real quickly. 
and Spain signed off on it, wished them good luck. And of course the French messed it up and, and they, didn't, uh, they didn't defeat the British fleet. They sailed up to New England and then back into the Caribbean to their uh, island of what is today Haiti. Uh, they called it then Guernica. And, um, and if you read the, our history books, you, at that moment, George Washington's real disappointed. He's wondering why France got in the war if they don't, they're not gonna help in any way, just protect their own island in the Caribbean. Um, at that point, the uh, Spanish or the French Minister of State, uh, the Count de Verjean, uh, wrote a memo to his king. And in it, he said, pray, sire, that Spain joins us or we are lost. Now, uh, this is perfect for simple-minded historians like myself. Uh, what does that mean? The, Spanish, the French Minister of State is telling his king that if Spain doesn't join us in this war, we're going to lose. Well, what does that mean for the colonies? They're going to lose too. So France and the colonies need Spain. Fortunately, when France and the colonies signed their treaties to get France into the war, treaties of alliance and, and uh, commercials, commerciality, um, they put a secret clause in there that if, if they could convince Spain to join the war, Spain would have equal footing uh, with France and the colonies as an equal partner in the war and that none of them would declare peace without uh, the acceptance of the other. And so it was all set up Spain joined the war and Spain said to France, if we're going to come into the war, here's what we want. Now, you know, no one goes to war without wanting something. No one goes to war for no reason. You know, I want to go to war because I want to go to war, you know, because it's fun. Uh, they go to war because they want something. France wanted something out of it, mostly revenge against uh, Great Britain. And they wanted to, to, to divert uh, the uh, commercial advantages that the colonies had for Britain to France. Spain wanted the same revenge for Great Britain because Great Britain is a sorry winner. They, they taunt you, you know, uh, when they win. Uh, and, uh, and so they both wanted to get back at, at, the, at the powerful empire, if you will. Uh, but Spain also listed certain things. Now think about it. France is in the war. The colonies are, are fighting for their independence. Great Britain is the most powerful uh, country in the world. And uh, France knows it's going to lose the war if Spain doesn't get into the war. So if you're playing cards on, on, uh, and holding the cards that, uh, that Spain has, now you can bide your time. First, we're going to try to negotiate an end to this war. But if we get into the war, here's what we want. And they listed it, and it was perfect. It was listed in documents that they found in the Spanish archives more than once, which is perfect. So if I didn't get it the first time, I'd get it the second time, or even the third time. And what they wanted was, they wanted the um, uh, the Great Britain out of what is called West Florida. West Florida is where Pensacola is today. There was an East and West Florida in those days. And uh, West Florida extended all the way to Louisiana along the coast there. So they wanted them out of West Florida. They wanted them out of Central America where they had pretensions of digging a canal from Lake Nicaragua to the, uh, to the uh, Pacific Ocean, which is just 11 miles. Um, the Chinese today are thinking about doing that in, uh, in Guatemala. Um, they wanted Gibraltar and they wanted the Mediterranean island of Menorca, which were both were British held. Um, and of course they wanted to, to uh, eliminate any British influence in South America. Oh, and they wanted the Bahamas and Jamaica. At the end of the war, just to give you the overview, you know, we know the colonies won their independence. They were the big winners. France ended up in the revolution, so they were the big losers, along with Great Britain, although Britain retained its trade with the colonies, uh, even though they went to war with them soon thereafter again in the War of 1812. And what did Spain get? Well, they got, uh, got the uh, British out of West Florida, also got the British as a bonus out of the Mississippi River. Um, they, got, they captured the Bahamas, they, they eliminated the British in Central America. They got the Mediterranean island of Menorca. They didn't get Gibraltar and they didn't get Jamaica. And they negotiated back Bahamas to Great Britain. So the strategy then was for Spain to do, to get all this stuff and told France, oh, well, okay, France called those gigantic demands, but they had no choice. And so Spain set the strategy. We are gonna make Great Britain pay hard choices. And by that, they meant the British Empire spread all over the world. This is a lesson for us today, incidentally. They're spread all over the world. They think they're all powerful because of their navy. 
naturally they have a big navy because they're an island. And so they have a policy that their navy should be as large as the next two countries combined, the navies of the next two countries combined. But then Great Britain had this, this crazy attitude of overlooking Spain all the time. Maybe it was because of the Armada. And what they overlooked in this case was that if Spain combined its navy with France, they would have a larger navy than Great Britain. Uh-huh. Harketh what not, say the, <laughs> the British sleuths. Uh-oh, this is a problem, a big problem. And what uh, Great Britain also overlooked was not only did uh, they have a hard, large enough navy to, to, to turn the tide, if you will, but Spain had the crews, the, the experienced crews to man its navy. Spain at that time had an empire itself that spread from the Philippine Islands uh, to Italy. And so, you know, how do you travel around? You know, how do you get from the Philippine Islands to Italy? On water. They had a huge merchant fleet. So they had experienced seamen that they could uh, turn to wartime effort and, and, ex and very experienced. And so that was the key. And so with a large Navy, the larger Navy, they said, not only will we fight them where the colonies are rebelling, but we're gonna fight them in the Caribbean. We're gonna fight them in Central America. We're gonna fight them in India where France recently lost its colony to uh, Great Britain in the recent war, the Seven Years' War. We're gonna fight them in the Mediterranean. Why we might even consider invading England itself. And if not England, uh, one of some of your favorites, Ireland. And so the idea was then, and it's stated clearly in one of the documents, make Great Britain make hard choices. Would they rather protect that cold harbor up in Boston or Jamaica, the center of the West Indy trade? Do they prefer to keep Gibraltar or Central America or Menorca or protect the homeland? France and Spain together had the opportunity to make them make those choices, and they did. So when Spain got into the war, the war immediately turned from a rebellion with the aid of, of French into a world war. And that becomes the key and maybe the message of all of this. Spain forced a world war on Great Britain, and Great Britain in that world war lost its colonies, its rebelling colonies. Now, you get to details. Spain fought in that world war and they, and they supported that world war. Yeah, a lot of what uh, the goods that came from in the, in the aid that came from France was actually uh, laundered through France from Spain when it was doing the clandestine aid uh, routine. After that, Spain became more direct. So it sent fleets in, into America, and by America, I mean the American continents. Um, Havana was its center of operation, Havana, Cuba, of all places. Um, it, as I said, uh, had New Orleans. So it immediately went on the offensive against British holdings on the Mississippi River and defeated the British in Natchez, Manchuk, and, and Baton Rouge. Uh, and then they went and, and uh, defeated the British in Mobile, Alabama, in a major siege there, and defended a counterattack by the British. And then in the biggest battle that they fought in what became American territory was at Pensacola, where for two months, um, the Spanish laid siege to British held Pensacola, the port there, and finally defeated the British. And incidentally, um, sent the British prisoners, they gave them a choice of sending them back to Europe or to New York. And so some of you are in New York, so I thought I should throw in a little New York for you. Um, that that was uh, perplexing to the, uh, the uh, colonial patriots, why was our, a, our ally sending their, their, uh, their um, prisoners, their British prisoners to New York? Well, believe it or not, uh, wars then were somewhat fought uh, on, uh, with certain rules, almost like a chess game. And so if you took prisoners, you could exchange them and the prisoners would be exchanged on the promise that they would no longer be involved in fighting the, the, the country that captured them. And so those prisoners were sent to New York on the promise that they would no longer take up arms against the colonials or Spain. And in exchange, Spain got some of its prisoners back. Uh, one of the nuances of that, one of the Spanish ships that was sailing up to New York was captured by a, an American cosar, which is a nice way of saying pirate. Um, and then he took 
took the the ship into port there in Philadelphia to to collect a reward for doing that, and then ended up in court because the Spanish government then complained to the Continental Congress about why are you capturing us when we're fighting for you and you need to pay us back. And so the poor ship's captain got penalized and had to pay and so forth. So Spain fought in the Mississippi River, they fought along the Gulf Coast, and then they they fought and took the Bahama Islands from the British. And the worst fighting of the whole war, including where, you know, the 13 colonies was in Central America, where in the jungles there in the heat and humidity, um, the Spanish confronted Britain um, and stopped them from going up the real Nicaragua to the Nicaragua Lake where they wanted to dig their canal and split the Spanish empire. And uh, if you don't think that didn't have an influence on, on the fighting in the colonies, um, again, here's a New York side uh, sidelight for you. Um, some of the British troops that had inhabited New York, uh, much to Washington's chagrin, um, were shipped, were transported down to Central America to fight the Spanish who were taking Nicaragua back. Or then it was called Guatemala. All of Central America was called Guatemala, but we're talking about the country now that is Nicaragua. But they fought in the Rio Tinto. Uh, they fought with, uh, you know, in, in uh, the island of Omoa, and the British were defeated there. So that happened there. Then we come to uh, some of the fighting that we know. Now, here's, you know, we, we know that George Washington had French uh, troops with him, um, that the French sent him. Well, how did they send them? You remember, you know, the big fear was the, was the British Navy. And so if you're gonna send troops from Europe to the, the colonies, it's gotta be on the, uh, over water. And so there's the fear that the British Navy is gonna capture or sink your fleet. And so what, what happened? Here's where, you, where the strategy came in. 22,000 men laid siege to British-held Gibraltar. 22,000 men. And so the, the British troops in Gibraltar were trapped. And that siege lasted through from 1779 to the end of the war. Twice, Britain tried to lift that siege. The first time it sent it brought out of retirement, it's Admiral Rohde. And... Uh, with a fleet, he went south to lift the siege. Spain sent out an inferior fleet under a guy named Langara with instructions to dearly sell the, the enemy its victory, which if you're, if you're a military veteran, you know what that means, that maybe you don't wanna go, you know? Gonna sell the enemy a victory? No, this is gonna be fun. And Langara did that. Now, those of you who have my book that I wrote about this, uh, there's a cover of a sea battle there, and it is that sea battle. And the ship that doesn't have any mass with one guy up there in the, on the poop deck who's the commander, that's Langara. His ship was de completely destroyed, but for some reason wouldn't sink. Had no mass or anything, and he refused to surrender. He was finally captured alive, but he didn't surrender. And he wrecked havoc on Rodney's fleet. Rodney's fleet. Um, it wasn't destroyed. Rodney claimed the victory, but he couldn't lift the siege of Gibraltar. In the, in the sad state of repair that his fleet ended up in. And so the, while that was going on, and here's the key, while that battle was going on and Rodney was trying to lift the siege, France sent, sailed its fleet with the soldiers that ended up uh, fighting alongside George Washington. So it's like a chess game. Move their fleet here and we'll send our troops there. And so the second time that the uh, England tried to lift the siege. The same thing happened, only this time, Spain sent 14,000 troops to Havana, Cuba to fight in the Caribbean and in Central America. And its fleet then um, helped, uh, helped us, uh, France uh, defend its, its uh, island in the Caribbean. And why is that important? Because it came down to eventually, as we all know, the Battle of Yorktown. The famous Battle of Yorktown, when Lord Cornwallis was trapped there in the Chesapeake Bay at Yorktown, because uh, George Washington and his French allies got there, and the and the British fleet was not there. Now the whole story of the Revolution is Britain had the fleet, so they could unload and offload their soldiers and transport them up and down the coast, while poor George and his generals had to go overland, cutting trails and moving rocks and cutting trees down and walking through snow and everything else. Uh, to get to wherever they need to go. And so the British uh, had, an, had an advantage. And if the British ever got trapped or had got uh, 
you know, were in a disadvantage, why the British fleet was there to offload the defeated British soldiers and so they could escape. The idea then was what we have to do is eliminate that, that advantage. And to do that, what happened? A faked, a faked invasion of England, a Spanish and French faked invasion of England distracted the British fleet from America. And when that fleet was distracted, word came through Spain to Havana, Cuba, that now was the opportunity if we could get the colonial and French armies to Yorktown um, to trap Cornwallis in Yorktown. We need, we need to send some boats up there to protect the Chesapeake Bay for when the British fleet comes back to, you know, to defer them. And so what happened? The guy who designed the strategy for Yorktown was a guy named Francisco Saavedra, and he was in Havana, Cuba. He was a Spaniard sent there by the king, a strategist. That's the guy I'm writing a book about right now, incidentally, because um, he was good looking. He looked like Antonio Banderas, if you believe his Goya painting, you know, really cool looking with a big open chest balloon shirt and his ponytail and a big bowl, man, cool looking dude. any rate, to give you the story of Saavedra, he was sent to Cuba to, to help with the strategies of taking Pensacola and Mobile and then Central America and to make sure that all this, everything was supplied and everything. And once that was achieved, uh, he was loaned to the French in Guernica, the, now today's Haiti, uh, where Admiral de Grassi was. And when word came to Havana, it was sent to Saavedra saying, uh, you know, the, the, the British are in, in, uh, in Virginia, at, in Chesapeake Bay there at Yorktown. Um, we could trap them if we could move, but how the, the, the armies in the, in the colonial, the colonial armies aren't going to move south unless they are, you know, have assurances that there's going to be help from the sea. And also they can get paid. And we also know that about from our own history books when the high school coach, uh, you know, football coach taught us history uh, that, uh, yeah, I can see from some of you that's actually true, huh? Yeah, it was me too. Um, that, uh, oh yeah, you know, George Washington had, you know, he, he was a great general, but he had problems because these people would sign up for like six months and then want to get back to the farm and tend to business. Or if pay wasn't coming, which had happened a lot, they deserted. And so he was having trouble keeping his army together and they weren't going to leave New York, incidentally, and go south to Yorktown unless they got paid. And uh, so where's the pay going to come from? The colonies didn't have it. The French didn't have it. Their soldiers are there. And it was Saavedra the good looking dude, right? He's there with the Grassi and he says, listen, Admiral, you, you sail north and, and get, get to the Chesapeake Bay. You get sail north, the time is now. We can't pass up this opportunity. Grassi said with his French accent, but no, I can't do that. I mean, why would I do that? Who's gonna protect our colony? And Saavedra said, the Spanish will. You know, the ships in, in Havana will come and protect. We can protect both. You, you sail north. He said, but who's going to, they need the money. Who's going to get the, how are we going to get the, the troops from the New York to come south? And he said, well, we have to collect the money. So they just, we have to collect the money. Now, obviously, the Grassi's never worked in a museum, so he know nothing about collecting money, right? Only museum people and Saavedra knew about collecting money. Saavedra would have worked in a museum, I assure you. And uh, so Saavedra, told, you know, somehow Saavedra was very convincing. So he's very good looking and he's convincing, you know, he's a dangerous dude. Um, and he, he convinced de Grassi to sail north um, with his fleet. If de Grassi would loan him one of his fastest frigates, the frigates, if, if you know your naval terminology in that day uh, was the ship, like in, in the movie, the commander and whatever that was, uh, the commander in sea, whatever, that, that's a frigate. They move real fast. They have one roll of guns. They're usually up to maybe 40, 40 to 60 guns. Anything above that is, is a flagship or a ship of the war, as they're called uh, technically. Uh, those are the ones with double roll guns, 80 and 120. And uh, so the frigates are the fast ones. So Saavedra asked for a frigate because, you know, why not? He's a good looking dude, right? And he got on that frigate and he sailed, you know, full full sails ahead uh, to Havana. And you can, I can just picture him, you know, with his white balloon shirt, you know, out there in the gunwale holding a rope with his sword out and everything. He probably just stayed in the cabin to stay warm, but, you know, and he, and he sailed to Havana, got to Havana, um, called out the governor of Havana and said, we need to raise money now. Uh, you know, victory is at hand. And so they rang the church bells in Havana, Cuba. The church is still there, uh, that those bells, uh, where those bells rang, called the merchants of Havana, Cuba out 
uh, to the plaza there. Now think about this, Havana, Cuba was the richest city in America. And by America, I mean both continents. It was the richest city in America because of the merchant class and the, and the trade that went on there. And so there were a lot of rich merchants there. And in two and a half hours, they took up a collection of uh, equivalent of something like two and a half million dollars and put it aboard that French frigate, that fast French frigate and sent it north to Admiral de Grasse. Now there's another Spanish hero involved in this and his name is Bernardo de Galvez. Uh, Bernardo de Galvez was the commander and the governor of Louisiana. He's the one that defeated the British up and down the Mississippi River and Mobile and, and uh, Pensacola was his strategy. He was roughly the same age as Saavedra, not as good looking as you'll see. Um, and, um, but they were friends. They had both fought in a, in a battle and both had been wounded in a battle in a previous war. Uh, they knew each other from, uh, um, from different things that they'd done in Spain. And uh, so they were friends. And so um, Saavedra acted without the permission of Galvez who, had, who was in command of Cuba at that time, the military command, but knew him enough to know that uh, Galvez would approve of them because they, they, they were like hand in glove. They would have been great in the newlywed game. Um, and, uh, and so just as the, the French frigate was sailing north and out of the, out of the um, bay there at, in Havana, Cuba, in comes Galvez on his boat. And uh, Galvez stops the, the ship for a second and finds out what it is and gives him God, tells him Godspeed, sends him north, comes into, you know, docks in Havana and, and uh, seeks out Saavedra to find out exactly what's going on. Saavedra explains it to him. And, uh, and uh, Galvez says, so we couldn't wait for the treasure ship to come from, from Mexico, from Veracruz, Mexico, where the silver was coming from. That's what was paying for a lot of uh, what Spain was doing. And I said, the time is now, the time was at hand. And he says, you're right. Well, a week later, that treasure ship shows up in Havana. And what does Galvez do? Sends it north again to help pay for the Battle of Yorktown. And of course, we know the story. Cornwallis was defeated. The, uh, the colonies won. George Washington had a big victory. It was the war that won the war, won our independence. It was the battle that won our independence. Paid for. Now think about this for a second. Paid for by the collection taken up uh, in Havana, Cuba, and silver from to Mexico. The war that won our independence was paid for by, by money coming from Havana and Mexico. It's an irony uh, that's kind of fun today, given the politics of today. Um, so that happened. Now, you know, the United States uh, never really recognized Spain's role in all of this, probably because none of our historians could read Spanish um, and preferred French, I suppose. Uh, the other thing is, is uh, our, our founding fathers knew this. And what's really interesting to me as a historian is, you know, I went to Spain basically to find this out from Spanish documents, but came back here and went to the National Archives. And, and you know, all you have to do is go through the public uh, letter, the published letters of our founding fathers, and you find out they knew that Spain was involved in this. George Washington wrote about it. He actually wrote that when Spain declared war, that uh, independence was coming. I mean, because he knew the, the value of the, of the, of the navies in, in, in this whole thing. So he understood that. And it turns out, you know, I started my book with the gift of uh, two, two mules sent by the King of Spain to, to George Washington. And, you know, George wanted, you know, Spain was famous for mules and he wanted some mules. This is after the war. And so the, the King of Spain sent him two mules. One of them died in, in, uh, on transport. And the other one arrived, and of course, George Washington named it Royal Gift. You know, for years I've been, you read all, his, all Washington's biographies, and no US historian ever questioned why it was called Royal Gift, because it came from the, the King of Spain. Um, you know, just something as simple as that would tell you something that was going on. Um, so um, the diplomacy of all this is also an interesting story because we know that, George, um, that uh, the Continental Congress sent uh, three men to, to France to negotiate treaties with the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the European uh, countries. And the leader of that, that uh, threesome was uh, none other than Ben Franklin. 
And so we know Benjamin Franklin went to France. Well, it's an interesting story. The day after he got to Paris, he met with the ambassador of, uh, of Spain, a guy by the name of the Conde de Aranda, who reputedly had the best silver setting and wine collection in all of Paris. Um, and the Conde de Aranda was a guy that broached no, uh, uh, he, he didn't waste a moment with anybody and had no sense of humor, apparently. Um, and so uh, the first meeting is recorded by him in 13 pages that he sent to his superiors, a document that no, no Franklin biographer has ever seen. Here's a guy describing a meeting with Franklin where Franklin is basically tiptoeing around the idea that Spain should uh, give money to the United States. At the time, Franklin didn't know that Spain was already sending covert money uh, to, the, to the continental colonies. And that story is, is there. So, but in, the, in one of the subsequent meetings that um, Franklin had with uh, Aranda, Franklin tried to push some documents off on Aranda, and Aranda refused to receive them. He says, no, no, you keep them. And Franklin says, no, I insist. You can imagine these guys, how they talk back then. No, I insist. Pray tell and all that kind of stuff. Harketh, you know, and everything. And um, finally, uh, Aranda was convinced to receive the document. The document was uh, oversized formal, formally written statement naming uh, Franklin the ambassador to Spain. And then Franklin handed Aranda a, a letter that Franklin had personally written saying that this document names me, and this is the key phrase, minister plenipotentiary to Spain, which is the diplomatic talk that makes you an official ambassador. So the first ambassador to Spain sent by our country uh, was Benjamin Franklin. Of course, Benjamin Franklin never went to Spain because when he got there and gave those documents to Aranda and Aranda didn't want to receive them at first, they both knew why. Spain had not declared war, nor had it recognized the colonies. And by doing that, it could still clandestinely send aid to the rebellion. And it wanted to keep doing that and be in a position maybe to negotiate the peace. Franklin understood that. And so he negotiated through the ambassador, the Spanish ambassador in Paris. All those documents are in Spanish archives, um, you know, which are really interesting documents. So the colonies knew about this. The Continental Congress knew about it. Uh, Patricio Enrique knew about it, obviously. He got blankets from them. Um, and, and you think even with, with uh, the coordination of, of battles, for example, Pensacola, which um, Galvez laid siege to, uh, there's an interesting story that, uh, you know, the Navy wouldn't go through the little the little uh, opening to the bay at Pensacola because they thought their ships were, would not, were, were, you know, too deep and the, the water too shallow. And Galvez, uh, an army man was daring them to get through. You have to get through and they wouldn't do it. So he commandeered one of his own ships from, that had come over from New Orleans, a little schooner. And um, he uh, raised his flag and told the naval commander, well, if you're, you know, not brave enough to do it, I'll do it in my own. And so he and some volunteers went through and the story is the, the soldiers on the ships there watched this happen and there was, they had to go through a gauntlet as they went through that little channel there of British guns and they went through and the guns, you know, all went off and the smoke and the noise and everything. And of course, guns back then when they fired left all kinds of smoke. And so the, 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 the schooner went through and got lost in the smoke and everything. And, then, and the people on the ships watching this is, oh, he was so brave, but stupid. You know, man, that was a waste. And then the, the smoke lifted and the schooner was in the bay and no one was wounded. And that shamed the Navy into following suit in the siege and the successful siege followed of Pensacola. And because of that, uh, Galvez became a hero. Even in this country, they, uh, there was uh, the Continental Congress was petitioned uh, by one of the, the Americans who was, who was uh, working with Galvez uh, to give him uh, honorary citizenship. It's one of a very few, I think three people along with Winston Churchill, I can't remember the other one, who've received this, this status of citizenship by the, by the Congress of the United States. Um, and so he became a hero. Unfortunately, in my point of view, even though I wrote a lot about him, uh, he becomes everything that anybody seems to know about Spain's involvement in, in, the, in our independence when there was a heck of a lot more. In, in, now I'm going to resurrect Saavedra, the good-looking dude, um, and uh, we'll go from there. So I think I've gone 45 minutes right now. And so let's, let's go to some images real quick, okay? Can I do that by clicking? Okay, here's the first one. I don't know what this is. 
somebody's re requesting control of my screen should decline, right? Okay, there. These are, this is a ship of the line. This white ship is a ship of the line. Um, the ship over here to the, to the left is a frigate. Those are the fun ones, man. That's where, you know, you, if, you're gonna, if you're a guy, this is the one you want to be on because the women swoon for you. And you're really cool if you're on this one. All right. And these are French ships, incidentally. This is somewhat a naval battle. That's a Spanish ship fighting a, a British ship. It's not on my book cover. This is Havana, Cuba. That was a rich city. You know, in 1779, this is what it looked like. Look at the ships. Look at the city. It was big and it was rich. And it helped pay for Yorktown. This is what one kind of a Spanish soldier looked like. Uh, there's a great story of Spain uh, sending 60,000 uh, suits of uh, military suits, soldier suits uh, to, to George Washington. And George sent one of his aide de camps uh, to the port to get them. And the aide came back without the suits. And George says, well, where's the suits? And he says, uh, they're scarlet. You know, can't have scarlet. That's, that's what the British wear. And so here's a Spanish soldier with scarlet pants. Um, well, there are other images of, of uh, soldiers and they, they, like today's army, you know, they wear these ascots that signify different, you know, whether they're artillery or armory or military or infantry, the ascots give it away. There, the uniforms gave it away. It wasn't like football game where one team wore the color and the other, you know, a different color. This is a contemporary image that was printed um, right after the, the, the news of the, bat, uh, the victory at Pensacola took place. Um, this image, uh, you can see the, uh, how you had to get into the bay and run the gauntlet. You can see the tittle castles there symbolizing the, uh, the armory, the British armory were there. Uh, what happened was Galvez offloaded soldiers on this peninsula that comes out at the bottom of the thing. Then his, he shamed the Navy to get into the bay. And once they got into the bay, uh, the real siege uh, took place. I don't know if the arrow works or anything, but up here you can see where trenches were dug and fighting took place. There was actual hand-to-hand -hand fighting with bayonets and swords and stuff. Um, the British had some Indian allies that helped, but they soon uh, saw that uh, they were on the wrong side and deserted the place. Um, the town uh, was here, and here's the town, and then the fort here. Uh, that if you take the fort and the town was there. Incidentally, Galvez and, and uh, the commander, the British commander, uh, made an agreement before the battle that uh, the town would be left unharmed, and it was. You know, civility and warfare. It's amazing. I got lost here. Where am I? All right. The battle culminated. Um, when one of the um, Spanish artillery pieces hit the ammunition dump in the fort and the thing blew up. Uh, there are graphic accounts of it with body parts shooting up in the air and everything. 180 British soldiers were killed in that explosion. It created a big breach in, in, the, uh, in the fort's wall and the Spanish soldiers immediately charged through and, and uh, won the victory. In this image, uh, the guy on the white horse is uh, Galvez. And you see that his arm is in a sling. That's because uh, Galvez, every, every time he went to war, he seemed to get wounded. He wasn't one of these generals that stood off in the back and sent his troops off uh, into harm's way. He always participated. Uh, this is the third uh, war he had been involved with, and he'd been wounded in every one of them. Um, he received a, a bullet wound that creased his stomach and then hit his arm and was hospitalized for a short period uh, before he got out again uh, to be there for the ultimate victory. Um, the horse uh, is interesting too. Spain's famous for its Andalusian horses. Um, that horse looks strikingly similar to the horses that uh, we see George Washington on. Um, and those horses are Andalusian. I haven't been able to find the documents yet, but I'm sure someday some historian, if not me, will pin down actually Washington got the horses from Spain as well. Thomas, do you mind if I cut you off to make sure that we have enough time for questions? Okay, well, just show this, the British flag taking a Pensacola. Cut me off. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah I was having fun. <laughs> I want to make sure there's a bunch of different questions coming in. Okay, go ahead. Uh, 
Kate, Kathy asks, did Spain really care about the U.S. vision or was it just a case of the enemy of my enemy is my friend? More the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, now, Spain uh, at that time uh, was also going through a, uh, an enlightenment. Uh, this guy, Saavedra, was part of that enlightenment. His library was spectacular, including works by uh, Benjamin Franklin. Um, so they had some enlightened people, and, and uh, the, the Spanish king, although I make an argument, no king's enlightened <laughs> in a way, um, uh, he, he's still revered today in Spain um, because he's the one that started the Prado Museum, for example, or the Archives of the Indies, where I got to go you know, um, and built the uh, park, the Retiro Park in Madrid and, and the Royal Palace. Um, he was somewhat of an enlightened king himself, although, uh, he, you know, he, uh, he, he, he cared more about getting the, the things that they listed, Menorca, Gibraltar, out of the Mississippi River, and all the other stuff I said. So, they, you know, everybody, you know, they, they get into the game for their own reasons. Yeah. And they were very careful. And one of the reasons there weren't Spanish troops, in case somebody asked, uh, with the French troops and George Washington is because Spain and France made the decision. Spain still had its colonies. France had lost them in the previous war. And so Spain didn't want to leave a big message uh, for its own colonies to rebel. Of course, that didn't work. They did, you know, a few years after all rebel. By 1821, all of Latin America was independent of Spain. So next question. <laughs> Ryan asks, but wasn't the Spanish Empire also in severe decline by the 1770s? France dominated the continent at that point, no? Uh, how did Spain leverage its dictates to enter the war? First of all, uh, France's uh, mantle fell when it lost the Seven Years' War. Uh, it was uh, hurting. In fact, uh, it, it probably um, it rushed into the war too quickly, you know, for well, it lost its idea of surprising the British didn't work, but um, it never, never could pay for the war, which resulted in, in of course, the revolution, where Spain came out financially solvent still, um, and, and that was good. Uh, its empire was in decline until uh, they switched uh, families on the throne. When the last Habsburg died and the first Baron inherited the throne, it started making a comeback. And, of course, the, the, the apex of that comeback was under Carlos III. They had reorganized um, the new world, its, call, its uh, empire, uh, and what affects, what affects uh, us in the North America was they created a thing called the Provincias Internas, uh, which is part of where I live today. Um, and uh, things started paying off for him again. Um, but uh, then he died, and uh, you know the, the successors were uh, not, not up to his, his uh, level. And of course, uh, the, the revolution in France took place, and that resulted in um, Napoleon rising to power, who invaded uh, Spain and um, then threw out their king and inserted his, bro his brother as a king, and you know, on and on. So there you are. Awesome. I saw a thumbs up for Ryan as well. <laughs> um, Russell asks a pretty interesting question. I know you weren't oh, sure of the answer, but he asks, do you have a range of the amount of money Spain sent to aid in the Americas? Do you know? Oh. I know it's impossible to pinpoint, but do we have a ballpark? No, I don't have a ballpark. You know, um, I just finished writing a book about uh, Benjamin Franklin in Spain. And Franklin was saddled with uh, dealing with our, our American coasters, which was a major part of our Navy. These, these were guys given license to raid, although they weren't official officers, but they, they, they had a fine line between patriotism and, and taking booty. So, you know, are they pirates or not? And uh, he had to deal with that. And Spain allowed these guys to come in port. So the idea and, and uh, John Paul Jones was one of these, was to raid on, on British ports and, and, and then uh, sell their booty in, in, uh, in friendly ports, uh, Bilbao and San Sebastian um, and uh, others in Spain. And Spain would pay for, the, for their booty at overpriced uh, value, and that money would go to support the, the revolution. I mean, there's so many ways that this money went through, it's almost impossible. Um, I've seen a couple of attempts being made even, even the attempts being made to, for the French aid, which was more, wasn't as clandestine, um, it hasn't, they haven't succeeded so far. That's a tough one. All I can tell you is for different things, like two and a half million dollars collected uh, in, um, in uh, Havana, 
and even that, uh, if you if you look in my book, you get into the problem of uh, in some places I say this this much this much money went. Uh, um, Gardoki and Sons, a banking firm, negotiated with Franklin to send so much money, and I put there in pesos, pesos fuertes. Well, that was the monetary basis for our currency back then. Um, but what what is the value of a peso fuerte in the 18th century compared to a day's dollars? Yeah. I did a loose translation of 30 to 1, but I, I'm, I'm not so sure that's so accurate anymore. So it's just almost, it's hard. no, I don't have an answer to it's that. Definitely one of the hard answers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how many soldiers and sailors served in the Spanish forces during the American Revolution? Oh, Is that an wow. easier number to answer? Uh, well, we know, let's say the 22,000 that laid siege to Gibraltar, for example, uh, basically 18,000 of them were Spanish. We know that the, the 14,000 soldiers that, that were sent over to Havana, Cuba, that got involved, but there were already soldiers here fighting. So there was probably another uh, six to 7,000 uh, fighting out, out the, you know, along the Gulf Coast and in Central America. Um, so well, somewhere maybe, I, I would guess somewhere, you know, that, that could probably be computed. Uh, that's probably around 30,000, 35,000. That doesn't take into consideration the crews of the ships. And so, for example, a frigate would take a 200-man crew. And a ship of the line was somewhere around 400, 450 men. And so, for example, when uh, Solano came with the 14 uh, soldiers or 14,000 uh, troops, I know he had at least two ships of the line and maybe six frigates or something. So you start computing. And then all the transports for the ships, you know, for the troops, um, that's another thing that could be computed. That's awesome. Um, we had a few questions come in about where are you locating all this information? What archives did you go to? What was your research process like when you discovered all of this? Like when you had to actually go to Spain, how did you find all of these, this information and even the images that you used earlier in the lecture? Yeah. The preponderance of the information is in a place called the Archives of the Indies in Seville, Spain. Um, that was set up by Carlos III, incidentally, where he wanted all the uh, paperwork coming from the Spanish Empire. The Indies was what the Spanish called the Americas, the Indies, the West Indies. Right? And so um, all those documents came in. So all of the official correspondence from Havana and Santo Domingo and Mexico, uh, all that came, uh, copies of all that ended up in, in the uh, archives of the Indies. Then the Spanish National Archives. Um, has even more. That's where I found the document naming uh, Franklin ambassador uh, to, to Spain. And then, um, and actually in, in one of the illustrations I didn't show you was that document. So too bad. Cut me <laughs> off. I'll show you. <laughs> I apologize. I wanted to make yeah, sure all of these questions a, were answered. It's an outrage. <laughs> uh, and then to continue the answer to the question, there's an archives of Samancas uh, in northern Spain in Valladolid, Spain, that has all the diplomatic correspondence uh, for that period. So those three archives alone in Spain. Then uh, I went to the national archives, of course, in this country. And then you go to the local archives, you know, in, in St. Louis and in New Orleans. Um, and uh, I didn't get to Mobile or Pensacola, but, uh, you know, there's still more to do. Yeah, I definitely appreciate having to go outside of where you're studying because I find most of the information that I need when I need to look up loyalist research is in Nova Scotia, which requires a plane ride. Yeah. yeah. Um, Donna asks, can you talk about the donativos that came from the now states of California, New Mexico, and Texas? Say that again, I didn't hear it. The donativos that came know. from the now states of California, New Mexico, and Texas. You're talking about soldiers that came from, I don't, I don't understand that question. Hmm. If Donna would like to clarify in the chat, donations. Oh, yeah. Donotivos, I apologize. Oh, okay, I thought, I thought you were talking like son of somebody. No, no, no. <laughs> Just my terrible translations, I apologize. San Sibo, which is a town, um, but no. Oh, the, do, the donativos, the donations. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, that's especially pertinent to me because I'm a 13th generation New Mexican. You know, I, my family's been in New Mexico since uh, 1600. 
And um, that's incredible. And so we were here during the revolution, although I don't know if my ancestors, you know, went back east to participate in it, not being, you know, foolish enough to seek out a war, but they were under Spanish authority. And so what happened was the governor here received word that uh, he should take up a collection to help support the war. And so my ancestors paid a tax to support the independence of the United States, which makes me feel good. Even though I am a veteran, you know, now I can go to the 4th of July baseball game and really enjoy it. Um, and so uh, uh, the, there was a tax taken up here. There was a tax taken up in Arizona and there was a tax taken up in California. Um, and, and then to help support the war, there was a tax taken up. Incidentally, and this is an irony too. Um, the Catholic Spanish Catholic Church made a big donation at the request of the king. Uh, and one of the physical evidences of that is the cathedral in uh, Malaga, Spain, beautiful city. If you ever get a chance to go, man, go. Um, the towers were never completed because they, they diverted the money to the war. Um, um, and so, um, yeah, there, the, in New Mexico, the governor, per the request from his superiors, took up a collection of two pesos each for each Spanish citizen. And I know they weren't citizens, they were subject to the king, but I'm using it in our modern parlance. And um, each Native American was supposed to pay one peso. Mm. And two of the Native American uh, Pueblos here were uh, um, granted amnesty. I hate to use that word right now, but uh, uh, granted, uh, they didn't have to pay it for the sake of their poverty. What happened though was the church and the missionaries took up and paid it out of their purses and, and stuff um, so that the, uh, the Indians wouldn't be imposed upon. But the different Pueblos then can take um, solace in knowing that uh, they did support uh, the war as well. And so um, somewhere around, I don't have the figure in front of me, it's in my book, the exact amount that was collected, that's known. And so you, you know, I projected it out $30 each, but you know, that's here nor there now. Um, Arizona, which was very poor and very sparsely populated, took up a large collection, surprisingly large, and so did California. Texas, on the other hand, uh, they were under the same imposition, but what they did, being clever Texans, um, they sent cattle to support the Spanish troops and feed the Spanish troops who were fighting in the Mississippi River in Louisiana. Interesting. I think the cattle might be just as valuable as actual cash during that time, too. Yeah. Yeah, you can't turn down a good steak. No, <laughs> you're asking a vegetarian. So uh, that's a question for me. Well, there was no value in that Donativo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wrapping up the questions, John asks, uh, was there one supreme commander over both army and navy and was Bernardo, Bernardo Galvez a higher rank than Rochambeau? Um, yes, he was. Rochambeau was subservient to, um, to Washington. Galvez was an equal to Washington. Wow. Right. Galvez was, was uh, promoted. He started out governor and captain general of Louisiana, which was all the way up to St. Louis and beyond. Incidentally, a Spanish contingent from St. Louis went in the winter all the way to St. Joseph, Michigan, and sacked and burnt the British fort there. If, so if anybody's from Michigan and Illinois and been there in the winter, you know what we're talking about. Um, it's an amazing story. So um, Galvez, uh, you know, was an equal. Now Galvez wasn't the commander of all the Spanish troops and all of all of Spanish Empire. I mean, there were other commanders that were dealing with uh, the Mediterranean and, and Central America. In fact, Galvez's father was in charge of Central America, and they were equals. Does that answer the question? It does. That's pretty cool. I didn't actually know that. Yeah. All right, we are going to wrap up on our last question, which is. If you could dine at Francis Tavern with anybody, who would it be? If I could what? Dine at Francis Tavern with anybody, who would it be? And that's a good one. You ask that to everyone, don't you? Yes. <laughs> I, I would I would like to talk to Saavedra right now. Yeah. I would like to talk to him. It helped me with my book, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oral interview with the with the guy it would be perfect. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Well, the pleasure is mine. Thank all of you for uh, putting up with me. So informative. So wonderful. Yeah. Well, have a good holiday, everybody, and stay safe. And I mean it. Yeah. <laughs>
Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Thomas, for joining us. Thank you, Mary, for moderating. As always, wonderful job. And thank you, all of you, for your questions and for joining us uh, this evening, this afternoon, depending on where you're joining us from. I know we have a bunch of West Coasters here. Um, as a reminder, we were recording. So if you want to re-listen, because I know this is a lot of really new information for a lot of us, um, it'll be up in a few days. You'll get a link to that. You could share it far and wide. Thank you to those of you who have donated to the museum. You are helping us keep going, keep our mission of sharing the history of the American Revolutionary Era alive. Uh, if you would like to donate, you can visit our website, francistavernmuseum.org, uh, and you will be able to do that there. And you will also be able to sign up for our mailing list to stay up to date with all of our events. We are on Zoom for the foreseeable future, so hopefully you'll be able to Join us again, wherever you are coming from. Um, I think that's about it. So have a great evening, afternoon, everyone. We'll see you hopefully very soon.